This is Republic of INSEAD, the 20 years later O3D podcast edition. I am Milena Ivanova and will be your host in this limited series. So, here we are, 20 years later, hopefully all the wiser, naturally smarter and as charming as ever. There were 432 of us in the O3D vintage. And certainly, there are 432 unique and very interesting personal and professional stories to tell. While I cannot physically cover all, I have tried to make a selection of stories that will keep you interested and curious and will hopefully convince you to join us on campus for reunion. Welcome to the Republic of INSEAD podcast edition and enjoy the show. Imagine that. Once upon a time, being a computer engineer didn't rate that highly, and my guest today, a computer science engineer by education, started his career in the commodities trade and steel industry. Post INSEAD, life initially took him into the field of healthcare, but today, ladies and gentlemen, he is a full-blown entrepreneur in the tech field, an investor and a part-time professor too. So, the Master of Science degree did come in handy, eventually. Before I let him tell it all, let me quote from the 20-year-old entry on him in the Republic of INSEAD 03D yearbook. A blue-eyed Romanian forged in the fires of steel trading, he taught us the virtue of not judging by the appearance. Apparently calm and reserved to the point of emphatically saying no when he meant yes and vice versa, he became the heart and soul of our group, masterfully organizing Romanian dinners and challenging us in Tuica drinking contests. Among his multiple talents, we remember his swing dancing ability while chasing after his kids. He is the ultimate family man able to solve ACF cases while running after his son, Theo. He was always there to help whenever there was a need. We will always be grateful for his generosity with his car, apartment, and even clothes for those in need. But most of all, he is a sincere friend who made us understand how to balance work, family, and parties. End of quotation. So welcome, welcome. Thank you for your time. And first off the bat, you still organizing Tuika drinking contests? Well, I, I uh, <clears throat> it's it's the first time I hear this in like twenty years, uh, so <laughs> I, I barely recognize myself, but I do recognize myself in, <laughs> in many of these things. I still organize parties, not that much. There is always some suika around, but unfortunately, we don't drink it that much. There's other other options available, I would say. Champagne, uh, let's say wine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and are you still any good at balancing work, family, and parties, or? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I've I've ever been good at it. I've been trying to get them all as much as I could, uh, and you know, y- you must have parties, otherwise life is boring. You have a family. Uh, that's it. I mean, you, you you're responsible to it. And yeah, yeah. I think I think it doesn't ki- kind of work without work. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, all right. So I will um, let you tell the story from here. Um, the last 20 years of your life in in a nutshell, how would you tell us all and keep it as... You are very good with pitches. So the elevator pitch yeah, of your life, yeah. five I'll minutes try. max. You, 
I turn on the timer, so <laughs> the floor yeah, that, is that, yours. That's, that's cool because it's uh, you know. Uh, you need a very tall building or a very very slow elevator <laughs> for this, but uh, okay, let, let let's try it. So I've been, um, yeah, I've been a computer engineer actually at the at the very beginning, and then I switched to trading prior to Insad because uh, it just paid better. And then um, I gave up on that because that's what I did Insad to change everything. So I went into pharma and did project management in uh, international expansion for a big pharma firm, initially from Austria, then from Switzerland. And I got so bored in Switzerland, Switzerland that I thought <laughs> I, I needed to get back home in Romania to help you know, grow the economy and do something a bit more meaningful. And uh, I switched from pharma to healthcare, joined um, an emerging entrepreneurial firm that eventually with me as number two, number one being the founder, uh, we managed to grow it into the largest chain of private clinics in Romania, sold it to private equity twice, made a bit of money out of the uh, ESOP, uh, which I learned from, I learned about in Insat. So, uh, cause I, I had to do a one pager with my boss just to bridge between uh, the gap between my salary expectations and his salary expectations for me. <laughs> so. Okay, this turned out very well after the company was sold um, and um, you know, I had a little bit of money and I decided, hey, why invest it prudently in like real estate and stuff when I can invest it uh, similarly into, you know, small equity in small companies that would grow big and eventually would turn out as, you know, uh, the next, I don't know, the next, uh, uh, the, the next market leader in some, in some um, thing. And I was, I was counting then that there are about... Uh, seven firms that I joined and where I had something that looked like an exit. And uh, this is out of a portfolio of nine firms. So I think it's, uh, it's, quite, uh, it's, it's quite good uh, in terms of uh, ratios. About five years ago, I joined um, um, one of my most recent investments uh, in a full-time capacity because I felt that has the potential to become really big. And that is called FinTech OS. It's a technology firm. It's software for the financial sector, obviously fintech OS, and um, well, it grows. I raised about 120 million in financing for our firm, my co-founder and my firm, in the last five years, and it's uh, going well. Fingers crossed, considering the VC uh, market and the VC industry nowadays. So. Um... What would you say? And personally, the kids are obviously, if you are running after okay. them at Insad. I, had, I have the same two kids and the same life <laughs> that I had when I, when I was at Insad. So that's, a, that's quite a success. <clears throat> mm. Except that the kids are obviously adults in the meantime. So, uh, you know, uh, one is in the Netherlands uh, studying engineering. The other one is in UK studying graphic design. There you go. I remember seeing one of them on the beach in Bulgaria and at the time, it was purple hair and all sorts of the teenage um, uh -huh, stage, uh -huh. but that, that, that kind they've, of... they've graduated from it now. So great. All right. So um, fundraising and, and, and business as an entrepreneur, what would you say have been the biggest challenges, challenges actually for you in these 20 years or the last 10 years, whichever period you want to choose? Uh, frankly, <clears throat> the worst challenge that I had, or actually the biggest challenge that I had, is that I, you know, I, I told you I joined this um, um, chain of clinics and I joined it passionately and I identified it with it. And there were 
since coming back to Romania, my identity has been stuck to it. And after selling the company twice, I got fired. <laughs> I got fired without notice from day one to day two and with a, with a very, you know, like uh, 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 typical capitalist view, you put your things in a box and you leave the premises in two hours, uh, which was uh, their fear rather than me being a threat of any kind. Um, and it was something that we wouldn't have done in the past, except if we caught people stealing or something like that, so doing something horrible. And it was definitely not my case. So this kind of shh uh, put me in a very, very difficult uh, position of trying to redefine myself as, okay, as a business person. What, what's my business? Where do I come from? What's on my business card? Remember, there were business cards in the past. Mm -hmm. So uh, at, all that thing was actually challenging. So I kind of took a step back, uh, took a deep breath, uh, took a bit of uh, self-irony and said, hey, Sergio, now what do we do? Well, let's see if you're good at anything, try to do that. And that's how I started to, you know, mentor and help young entrepreneurs grow their businesses and put a bit of money where my mouth were and try to make something out of it. What type of fund was it that fired you? Sorry, once again? The investor who uh, that fired you, what type of fund was it? I'm just curious. Uh, it was a, it was a you know, <clears throat> pretty large, well-known private equity fund. Okay, European yeah. or... And they, they, hired, they hired someone that was uh, basically coming from, um, from elsewhere, uh, who stayed basically only for about six months to, to restructure. Mm. But uh, uh, the thing is, they really, really wanted to get rid of uh, the previous owner, my boss, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I was loyal to him. So the only way for, for them to really take over the firm and take over from the management point of view was to get rid of us. To fire me and to put him in a non-exec position so so collateral damage well you've been fired sergio that's yeah. a graduating step right yeah. so cool cool all right yeah, i remember it's not a judgment upon your uh performance it's we don't need this position anymore there you go no there are a million ways to <laughs> tell someone why they're fired uh but when it graduates to you getting further up in your development, your personal development, then it's precious, right? Priceless. So um, teaching. So that's what you said. You started teaching. What do you teach? And you, you are mentoring, coaching, teaching. What, what's there? Look, I think it, I think it was in, um, at, at, at a time when I was in, uh, still in uh, healthcare uh, in uh, Switzerland. And I think we had... Uh, visitors or doing uh, from an executive MBA in the States doing uh, company visits. And my boss was not at all into teaching and stuff like that. So delegated me, you go there and see, you know, you are an MBA, see these MBA students, uh, tell them something. And I, I taught them something about, I think, the cultural differences in Europe, in Eastern Europe, actually. And I, 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 I enjoyed it so much. And I started, you know, to make presentations and pitches and so on. And when I came back to Romania, I realized that people are asking me to come and join in conferences and give speeches. And I was, I was trying to share all my knowledge as fast as I could. And, uh, you know, after a while, an MBA, uh, a local MBA school, or actually uh, a global MBA school having a local franchise has uh, approached me to why don't you, you know, come on our advisory board and I, why, and later on, why don't you teach something and why don't you, okay. And I ended up teaching strategy. 
And uh, nowadays I'm teaching strategy, I'm teaching entrepreneurial growth, uh, typically to MBA students. And uh, I'm also teaching, hey, but this is because of my current uh, <clears throat> uh, specialty. I'm teaching a, a FinTech course uh, to a broader audience uh, from you know uh, many countries. I'm doing it again next month in, 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 in the Netherlands. Mm. So that's a nice, um, actually, transition to um, the, the, the main part of the conversation where I want to talk about startups, venture funding, fintech. So let's start with fintech briefly. Uh, what do you teach your students? Where is fintech now? It was very hot. I used to sit on the board of a fund which invests in fintech in emerging markets. So I have an idea, although the last couple of years I haven't followed as closely. Uh, we know the tech industry is in a cyclical downturn, should I put it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's funny. Well, um, euphemism. Look, I think I think there are, there are quite different flavors of fintech, um, and of course you have the B two C and you have the crypto and uh, to some extent the blockchain that are not in very good shape. Uh, because they lost a lot of uh, of glamour and they lost a lot a lot of attraction, and then you have the very traditional I wouldn't say very traditional the the, the more traditional uh, SaaS B two B where you're selling something to some people that are paying money for it, and the only thing that has changed is perhaps the uh, multiple of revenue that you get as valuation and uh, obviously as a consequence as an investment, and uh, I think this is. This part of the business is just, you know, going to be business as usual. Uh, it's just it just takes a bit of time to readjust to the current uh, to, to the current market reality. However, everything is pending, like everything else in the venture capital uh, finance world. Everything is pending on, you know, the bigger markets uh, resuming tech IPOs for fast growing loss making companies, which we haven't seen yet. <laughs> fast growing. Loss making. I love this loss making bit companies. All right. So you raised 120 million over what period? Five it's, years? It's been five years. Five years. And how can you walk us through the journey? I remember us again, it was at the beach uh, talking about it in the very beginning. And you were thinking where to go and who to talk to. So, so how, how has this evolved? To get to 120, which is a serious number, right? Yeah. You start actually talking to the people that you know from the industry. And uh, you realize that, you know, the people that you know and the people that, you know, and obviously I used my INSEAD network to reach out to the uh, our, you know, indirect colleagues that were working in, uh, in venture capital firms in London. And, you know, I had a number of questions and meetings and it was around, can you give me some advice? Because I, I was not in a position to ask for money at the very beginning. And, um, you know, I've put my money first, uh, about 100K. And then uh, there's, uh, uh, there were a number of, um, let's say, small VCs in the making back in Romania. And I was talking to them, but they weren't structured yet. They, did, they hadn't started yet. And their timeline was moving and my timeline was moving. So finally, I managed to get one of them to create their fund. And that was like the first investment a week after or something like that. And then, you know, we were still trying to get uh, to position ourselves for Series A in London. And I think about after about three three meetings or something, I, I heard 
again and again the name, but why don't you go back to your country, to Bulgaria, and raise uh, some money from a local VC that you know is very good uh, uh, launch hub? And I, I started, okay, look, that that must be serious. So I, I then I then I uh, I uh, talked to the guy, went to Sofia, and uh, got an extra extra uh, seed from launch hub, which seemed to have been a very good idea because they helped us a great deal. And then later on, it was, again, uh, through connections that we uh, kept in touch with some people that we were pitching from the very beginning, uh, basically to get advice. And when we got in a position to ask for Series A, um, someone preempted the round before we were, we, we were ready. And then we went with that offer and uh, got a better deal. Got a, not Did not get a better deal, but we got a... A broader deal by including someone that was a much more visible fund. So we got uh, with Series A, we got OTB and we got Early Bird. And Early Bird, having had a certain, um, let's say, um, uh, reputation in the market, allowed us to go fast and look for a Series B that uh, came quite soon. It was it was led by Molden Draper Esprit at the time with some people that really know fintech market and really know financial services market. And we've been with them uh, since then. And everybody from all the investment rounds have continued to invest in us throughout it, uh, including the most recent um, um, time when obviously there's it's, it's not the best time to raise a round, but you do go well with some convertible uh, loan that is taken from the existing investors pending either the market revival or why not break even. Hmm. So you have money in the bank now for how long? Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, it, we, we, do, we do have Apologize. money. The, the base scenario is that we, we would be able to converge to uh, break even with the break amount even. of money that we have and we would do it by the end of 2024. Is not mm. the ideal scenario. I'm, mm. I must say, it's not the ideal scenario. We are uh, we we can grow a lot better, and we can have a more balanced uh, growth if we manage to delay this a bit and uh, use some extra funding. And where's your business actually in terms of actual client base? And well, we have about forty-five clients. The majority of them being banks. Most of them in Europe. Um, in Europe, our largest markets in terms of dynamics now are UK and France. And uh, we have started US with an office uh, last year and we got our first six American logos. Um, and it's it's growing. You know, if I want to give just some random names, uh, Societe Generale is probably one of our largest clients right now. Uh, Admiral in insurance in the UK, uh, Royal Bank of Canada, and I can, you know, throw names yeah. if needed. And in an ideal world, your end game is IPO or strategic sale? In an ideal world, think? yes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the world is not ideal. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, technically, of course, an, an IPO is something that uh, I think every uh, technology startup uh, dreams of. Um, it's It's... Pretty far in the future. I mean, we need to grow five to ten times more in order to, mm. to even consider or be considered for that, and it's uh, it's something uh, in the making. But uh, hey, it, you you always get the scenario where someone that is a more traditional player in the industry might preempt you going that route with a um, 
with a with, with a takeover, uh, especially if the financing market becomes less attractive. Mm-hmm. How many people are working? We're about 300 now 300. and not growing anymore in terms of the, the size of the team, uh, still growing in terms of revenue and uh, um, clients and, and so on. Um, we've, we've moved from a sort of a 80% growth uh, with a significant loss into a, a sort of 50% growth with a, um, very clear convergence to break even. Mm. So, what do you say is the most difficult aspect of being an entrepreneur? Difficult. I, I don't think it's difficult, frankly. I think it's. I think it's so fun that it, you know, everything that you can look at as being difficult, is also just different from being, you know, a corporate employee. So, uh, probably, okay. I think to some extent, if you're if you're um, very young is the uncertainty of your revenues i think if you're still indebted and you still have uh, no uh, no assets that you own and stuff is is probably the most difficult thing is the uncertainty of your future revenues but if, yeah. as you as you grow older and you have some assets for the god forbid case where you absolutely need to sell them Okay, then I think this thing of the uncertainty of revenues is just a feature of the job. It's not something that is stressful. Mm. I think the, the, the stressful part uh, for an entrepreneur is, you know, business as usual. Is you know, where do I find my next client? Where do I find my next investor? Where do I find my next, uh, you know, shining stars within the team? And, um, well, I think that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, and the most rewarding part of being an entrepreneur? I found the most rewarding part um, to uh, the, the, the feeling of accomplishment. Uh, it sounds so dull, sorry. <laughs> and it's, you know, you, you kind of get together, you see, you know, some tens, hundreds of people. And, you know, it's also because of you that they got there. And uh, people ask you like like this one to talk about yourself it's a bit <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing but it's, it's keep the it, ego it kind in of check. feels uh, feels you know a, a certain comes with a certain uh, level of accomplishment that you feel oh. and it's it's uh, you know there was this famous line in a in a movie vanity definitely my pray, my 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 uh, um favorite sin so yeah i suppose mm-hmm. it's a sort of vanity that it feeds into all right, so uh, what advice you may have for students? You said the income side or the revenue side mm-hmm. is stressful, but for students, because at INSEAD, in fact, you know, when we were at INSEAD, they gave us the statistics that 20 years after INSEAD, some huge percentage of us are going to be entrepreneurs. And I was like, bullshit, I don't buy this. And actually, looking at our class and looking at the profiles, so many people have graduated to entrepreneurial paths, which I absolutely did not buy into and did not believe is going to happen. So what would be your advice to to current students uh, and to recent alumni about choosing entrepreneurship as, as a path in life? 
Look, I think the, 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 the younger students and, and, and uh, graduates are much smarter than we are uh, <laughs> and much smarter than we were. And I think they've, they've realized that uh, our prudent way of doing things by joining a corporate, getting a salary, getting a higher bonus and a higher bonus and a higher salary and a higher bonus and a higher salary is just a path through some for some sort of plateau that is kind of convenient. But is just that it becomes the same thing again and again after a while. So I think I have my advice, I think, to everyone. And it's not only the youngsters. I think it's even, you know, and or even even more so people that are approaching uh, our uh, level of experience. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Is not to get trapped in some sort of cozy job that pays the money and gives you no thrills anymore because with the things that we know with things that we have learned with people that we have met and so on we can build things that are meaningful and if sometimes we fail every time that when i failed it kind of proved to be you know the kind of kick in the butt that makes you leap forward so don't worry that much about the potential failures in the process. I think it's the it's more of about enjoy the the opportunity to build something that is um, hey is going to impact people in, in some way. Mm. Well, that's fine, but I can challenge you back because you did say you did build up some assets before you went crazy and said, okay, I'm gonna start risking it as opposed to playing it safe. So when, when students come out of university or MBA, the debts, the, I mean, and some or many want to start families. So, and then there's the psychology, not everyone is a risk taker. So, so I mean, you know, I can push back here. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. And definitely when you have a large debt that has been originated by having to pay for your, uh, MBA tuition, and uh, if you have at the same time the uh, the responsibilities to start a family, your risk appetite in terms of uh, making uh, more or nothing in terms of revenue is crunching. But mm-hmm. um, even in that in even in that circumstance, I think it's we have to be aware that especially in this world and the world because the world has changed in the last 20 years but especially in this world our let's say security net is pretty high and is given by what we know and what the cv looks like and how you know employable you are should shit hit the fan yeah and eventually yes the shit does hit the fan but then you can always jump in a secure job maybe slightly less attractive than the one that you would optimize for if this was your main target. But it's it's such a difference between trying to create something new and something that hasn't been built before and trying to uh, orchestrate the, um, let's say, the energies, the things that everybody around you can contribute to uh, that and just doing a job. Uh, that my my advice is do for go do go for something that is entrepreneurial. Sometimes, sometimes, and I've been there. Sometimes 
you can have a very, very entrepreneurial job uh, working for others. It's, uh, I don't know, I'd call it entrepreneur as a service. Yeah. You don't own it. It doesn't pay you the money all, all full. It just pays you in installments or something like that. You get a, it's a tiny portion of participation through as an, as an ESOP or something in a, in a bigger firm. But it is entrepreneurship because you, you have the, the freedom to build stuff. You have the freedom to create. You have pre, the freedom to invest budgets and to raise money against those budgets. So it is entrepreneurial. Take it as a training. All right, and INSEAD in that picture, what do you think you, what did you take away from INSEAD that has helped you in being an entrepreneur, that has helped you in raising money, etc., etc.? Look, I think it uh, it kind of detached me from the imposter syndrome that you have when you start (laughs) managing businesses and people look at you as you should have the answers and you obviously know deep deep inside you that you have absolutely no answers and therefore everything is kind of made up. And the beauty with INSEAD is that um, it allowed me not, perhaps not to completely clear off that uh, uh, imposter syndrome, but to to kind of make me aware that I'm probably, upon graduating, one of the best imposters in the world. So, <laughs> so you know, getting that imposter syndrome to be, you know, that at, at, at the very best. So you can actually, you, we've, we've done those business cases with all the big companies, you know, playing the role of the big shots, uh, making uh, uh, huge decisions. So... Every other thing that you come across in the normal world is just another business case, obviously simpler. Yeah. Mm. And um, mm-hmm. I think with that, with that thing, I, I, I used to say that um, INSEAD brainwashed me in a very efficient manner and took uh, a Sergio and, uh, in and got a Sergio out that was quite different, a bit more um, uh, willing to do things that are new and different and uh, um, trusting himself a lot more about what uh, he would touch and turn and transform as a business person. Turn into gold. And in a funny way, he did also do it without necessarily inflicting arrogance only. Mm. It added a certain human uh, kindness and uh, care for the others, and I, um, I'm very grateful for that. That's an INSEAD special, no? Like I remember the dean at the time, Howard Winnie, telling us on day one, "You're here to learn to be humble," which is not a message you typically get at a top MBA program. So, and I never forgot it because then I experienced a few times the opposite from uh, from students from other schools. So I was like, aha, remember what mm-hmm. they told us on day one. So, yeah. And since we are talking INSEAD, let's talk giving back. And I have this fun story with you. I'm very proud. You're my one of my big um, conversions. So um, right after INSEAD, you and I both ended up in Vienna. And from time to time, we would meet and uh, have the famous Viennese coffee. And I remember once we were strolling, literally, I, 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 I remember it, I visualize it. Uh, we were near the opera and I was telling you, Sergio, it must have been one year after and I was raising money. And I'm like, Sergio, 
how about you give a hundred euro and you're like, I'll never give money to INSEAD because blah, blah, blah. And I don't remember what the blah, blah, blah was. But I remember that and I said, okay, I'm not, you are so firm on it that I was like, I will not poach him in the future because he clearly doesn't, that's not a cause uh, for you. And then a few years later, you actually, a few, maybe it was a decade later, you actually wrote to me and you said, actually, I've changed my mind and here's a check for some small amount. And then later, during COVID, actually, I got copied on an email from you and I really, really want to quote it because I was so desperate. It was COVID. We were in lockdown. We were all going through our God knows what in our heads. And then I get copied on this email. And uh, it said, um, please be informed I have transferred 8,000 euro today. Mark this donation for MBA 03D scholarship. Please confirm receipt and write allocation. At this point, I wasn't even chasing you for uh, a gift. Of course, I was harassing everyone every year all the time. But, and, um, you know, that was in the midst of the lockdown. And it was a very hard time. People were scared for their lives, for their jobs, for their life um, for everything and there was this white swan coming from you so tell me what changed your mind over the years obviously it was a gradual gradual process i'm making this cutting the story very short but and why have you decided to be a a, a big insiat supporter you are a bronze salamander so it means you've given more than fifteen thousand euros so far What's your thinking? How did you evolve from our windy Viennese troll to this? When I, when, I, when I graduated from INSEAD, I was looking in a different way at uh, how people contribute. And I thought one important thing of the INSEAD community was to get mature business people that are able to understand funding, to understand money, and to understand how it works. And for that, I thought, especially after being an interviewer for INSAD and, you know, maybe dismissing some candidates. I thought that there is a there is a chance that if we give too much money in terms of scholarships, some people that should not get into INSAD would get into INSAD. Some people that ha- are not focused on building businesses and so on. But in time, my, 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 my view has changed. And perhaps it's uh, that I, that it's because I drink better coffee now, but... <laughs> In time, I'm looking at lots of people that have the talent and have the motivation to change the world, perhaps in different ways than through money. Think of NGOs, think of conscious businesses, think of all the, you know, force for good thing that uh, INSEAD stands for. And I realized many of these people would basically go elsewhere or would not do an MBA unless they got a scholarship. So with that thinking in mind, uh, I also started to consider. I also consider this investing in a community because this is this is an, a, so the first part is if you want the the more uh, do good thing, but then is the you know the practical thing. I realized I started to make more money in my career by having exits, whether it's ESOP, whether it's transactions, and so on. And I think the uh, inception of that for me was Insat, and it was the one pager that. ESOP uh, mm. deal that I made with the owner of that uh, healthcare chain that actually brought me the first money. And when I realized this is going to happen, I pledged in my mind a small percentage of the capital gains that I would get 
to INSEAD. Mm. And that's why, you know, when the small capital gain happens, <laughs> you get a small donation that ends up with ends up with INSEAD. It's not part of salary, hey, but it is part of the, let's call it extraordinary revenue that wouldn't have been there or perhaps would have been there much later or in a different shape. But I tend to allocate part of the responsibility for that to INSEAD and INSEAD people. And uh, yeah, that's I uh, love this story. And you did remind me now, I remember your argumentation back then. Back then, I had blocked it out. So, good. Thank you. Thank yeah, you, like thank everything you. that doesn't quite make sense, you can't kind of, yeah, it doesn't right? make any sense. You forget <laughs> it. <laughs> right. So, yes. Well, but it does go back to your profile in the yearbook where your teammates say you were generous. And I must note here, uh, last year when I was hosting a Ukrainian family, you did take them for one night as they were coming to get Canadian visas. So in fact, this INSEAD community and this INSEAD generosity manifests itself on so many levels. So uh, it works wonders. Thank you for everything there. Now, the last section is a quick round of questions. So a bit of ping pong, tennis, whatever sport you prefer, squash. I'll ask questions and hopefully you can quickly get me the answers. Your proudest achievement. Hmm. It's been for a long time graduating in SAD. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I'm, my proudest achievement is a series of entrepreneurs that I helped get to their proudest achievements. All right. Success for you is? Oh, success is turning the world into something better. I think we're all destined to take the civilization forward. So taking the civilization forward, doing my part in taking the civilization forward. So working on it then, huh? <laughs> Obviously. Happiness is? Didn't get quite there yet. <laughs> Happiness is? Oh, happiness is good time with friends, with a glass of wine or water and sunshine or rain or it doesn't matter, but it's time with people that we care about. Hmm. Biggest regret? Not having done some things that I've done a lot earlier, like starting entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Okay. What keeps you awake at night? Unfortunately, like for many other people, when I got awake at night, you know, when I keep being awake at night, is for your mundane day-to-day businesses because you wake up at 3 a.m. and you have some that that awkward thought about the business and that doesn't let you sleep. What keeps me awake in the day is perhaps <laughs> a better thing to argue about because what keeps me awake in the day that's perhaps more more about you know what we can do different and what how we can you know uh, make the business that we do less dull and more fun and get more people to participate enthusiastically in it. Mm. Wish you had known or someone had told you. Once again, sorry? Wish you had known or that someone had told you. What do you wish you had known earlier, sooner? Hmm. I wish, frankly, I wish I would have learned some finance prior to INSEAD. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's so un, un... non-aspirational but it's (laughs) it's really the thing and to to understand that finance is about life and not just about money Mm. if you had to do it all over again what would you change i probably have gone for uh, for uh, an undergrad in finance 
Mm -hmm. I'd probably have left Romania earlier and returned to Romania earlier. Mm -hmm. All right. Retirement ever or never? Never. 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 I There's. I can't that. imagine myself retiring and doing nothing on a beach or, you know. If you had to pick one book that everyone should read, what's your pick? Hmm. It's it's very it's very complicated with the books because I keep like having a ten books that I really care about and uh, these are like ten. It's even worse. It's like ten business books and ten science fiction books, mm -hmm. and um, it depends on the on the timing and so on. But I I'd say that uh, my favorite author. And I can't really pinpoint a book in uh, in the area of uh, business is Clayton Christensen. So mm -hmm. I've tried this innovation disrupt disruptive innovation in all businesses in different ways and it kind of works and it's kind of reasonably easy to make it happen if you get to uh, read it and then there are some things about um, uh, life and our destiny and stuff like that where i think a serious science fiction book can uh, can can help and uh, all serious science fiction books are very serious science fiction books. So anything uh, in the, um, and I'm, I'm not quoting Dune or the Foundation or stuff like that. There's, there's an uh, Van Vogt guy and the world of Null A. That's probably a book worth reading. Okay. Most admired public person. Hmm. I tend not to have a most admired public person. I okay. tend to look at people, at different features of different people that I admired at different moments in time. Okay. If I were to get one person that I really think is impressive and, you know, public and huge and so on, probably that would be Bill Gates. Okay. And most despised public person? <laughs> Milena, we are... Eastern Europeans mm. and something is happening nearby. Mm. <laughs> so okay. I, I can't think can you anyone today answer anything else in our region other than Putin. There you go. Last one. Are you coming to reunion? Coming. Coming. Definitely. Coming. All right. Well, October 6, 2023, Fontainebleau. There is a gala dinner at the Chateau on the Saturday, and we are working on other things in the background. So that's that's it, ladies and gentlemen. And this was a conversation with Sergio Negut, co-founder, CEO of uh, FinTech OS, serial entrepreneur, a teacher, and so much more. Thank you for your generosity, Sergio, and uh, see you in Ponte very soon. Well, maybe see you at the beach in the summer before that. <laughs> Very good chances that we would see each other again before the reunion. But Very good. Thank you. See you at the reunion. Thank you. You were listening to the Republic of Insead 20 Years Later O3D Podcast Edition. It is my hope to remind everyone what an interesting and dare I say colorful bunch of people we are and how much we can contribute to each other, be it through ideas, knowledge or mere inspiration. The podcast is inspired by the original Republic of Insead yearbook produced on paper 20 years ago by Oliver Bradley and team. Thank you Oli and team for this contribution to our class's memory and for letting me continue in the tradition, title and inspiration included. Creator and author of the Republic of Insead 20 years later O3D podcast edition am I, Milena Ivanova. 
Original music by Peter Dundakov with help from their film's productions. Stay tuned for more and remember to book your tickets for the 20-year reunion in Fontainebleau, October 6th, 8th, 2023. Thank you for listening.